Thank you for tuning in to Far Better, where we look to be pleasing to God in this life, so our eternity is far better. I'm your host, Michael Clark, and with me again is Scott Kane from the DeGaulle Drive Church of Christ, and Holly Clark. Holly's my sister, and she graciously agreed to come on to the program to help us understand more about addiction, all the things that kind of come with that. And in this episode, we get to really talk about a lot more of the pleasant stuff as far as how we can help overcome it, because it's not always fun to talk about when you were addicted and when you were going through all those struggles. But I know, because I've seen it, you light up when you talk about who you're helping to sponsor and all the things that you get to deal with because you're winning. You know, you're actually taking control of your life again, and you're, you're getting back on top to where you feel a sense of normalcy again, and you're doing all of the things that you wanted to be able to do that addiction, I mean, for lack of a better word, robbed you of. And so... I'm going to ask you two questions that I want you to answer if you can. The first one is, what could addiction ultimately lead to? And the second one is, what caused you to overcome your own addictions? Yeah, I mean, I think the word ultimately, I mean, it ultimately leads to death. And I have experienced that very closely. And I mentioned this in the last episode with um, my boyfriend that died. I know I've met and watched others die in the program since then. And I have, I know many people that have experienced the same type of difficulty and grief over something from this. And we say all the time, you know, we hate this disease and um, the things that come with it sometimes. And unfortunately, the people who, um, for whatever reason, are unable to grasp the solution to it. Um, so ultimately, yeah, it leads to death. But even before that, it's truly just a low quality of life. You know, I mean, you were raised in the same house I was. I mean, did, we never had to boil water to take a bath. No, never. <laughs> um, or, and at one point, even in the same house, um, and that house was foreclosed on because I couldn't, we couldn't pay our bills, you know? Right. Well, we could have. We chose not to because there was something else, like, gripping us. Right. Um, and so, very low quality of life. Absolute miser- misery. Um, irritable, discontented, all over the board restless so definitely a low quality of life I mean as far as like and it's hard for me the word overcome I think just because it's been embedded in my memory uh, over and over and over to know that it is something that I work on daily this is a daily way of living and it is something that um, I know that I am one drink away from this one fix away from back to that same low quality of life and, or potentially death and um, having experienced that so closely it's definitely not something that I would want to put my family through or um, have to go out that way for sure I think what it comes to what caused me to overcome my, the, the really the desire I think what caused me to have the desire to want a new way of life it was um it was a slow progression of the educational variety when it comes to that. And, you know, there's a part in the book that says frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. Um, what needs to hold us suffering people, it must have depth and weight. And so for me, like you had mentioned at the end of this, the last podcast, um, you know, like, of course, like all my family, so many people were praying for me. People, when I came back, so many people were coming up to me and saying, we've been praying for you for all these years. We're so glad to see you. And, and But if that was enough, then I would have gotten sober years before. Right. But the thing about it is, and, and it's the same thing, it's like this is, it's a, I'm selfish. And that was, that was my biggest problem was that I had to 
get over myself and I finally got to this place of desperation where it was just like I can't do this anymore and so um and like I said it was a slow process it took me uh three treatment (laughs) adventures and um many many different experiences and consequences for different actions in order to get to the place that I did I think the biggest thing for me was at the the last time so when I went into the crisis center um and I'm I'm just going to be very blunt and and very candid and I don't have a problem doing so I hope it doesn't make anybody uncomfortable I'm just this is my experience but so I had been using again for those 10 days and drinking heavily and um, trying to hide it to the best of my ability which at this point had been more and more difficult to do and so um I guess mom and dad couldn't find me or something was going on. I, I don't remember all the details now, but I remember mom coming up to the room and I had decided, you know what, I can't do this. And so um, I had gotten suicidal and I decided that I was going to uh, hang myself in the attic. And she came home right as I was starting to have those thoughts. And so I told her what was going on and she took, but I did not mention that I had relapsed. I just told her you know, I want to kill myself. And so she took me to the crisis center. I walked in there. uh, They gave me a drug test. I failed for five different drugs. And I also, um, I don't remember now what my blood alcohol content was, but it was over the legal limit for sure. And so clearly under the influence. But when it came to the drug test, I told them, like they told me, uh, well, you you failed for these five drugs, man. We need to medically detox you as, as well for the alcohol. And I said, oh, that's not true. I'm six months sober. And um, it had been six months since I had been to treatment the time before that. And she said, I was like, that's not true. Do I look like I'm on something? And it had been, I'd been in the waiting area for about, I don't know, six or seven hours. And anyway, she said, oh, I think I know what happened. There was a guy that came in the same time you did. He was clearly under the influence. Like, they just must have been mixed up. Would you like to take another one? And I said, sure. Like, total insanity. That's the thing about this whole thing is, like, my thoughts are delusional, you know? And whenever I am in the grips of active alcoholism and addiction, like, I am not my normal self. I, I cannot think properly and so what needs to happen and um, I mentioned that I I refused medical detoxes that particular week but um, in order for me to begin to recover it basically needed to leave my system Um, and I would not suggest refusing medical detox if they recommend it I did go through two medical detoxes before that and it was really quite dangerous Um, they told me Miss Clark you're prone to seizures you know you really need to do this and I absolutely I would not I refused and so um, that's a big one if, if uh, you know, I needed to go through that first in order to kind of clear the fog a little bit so that I could start to, when I was in treatment, I was lucky to be able to go to treatment. So I've actually, one of my sponsees has never been to treatment. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how do, you know, she just came in and wanted a different way of life and she's found it and she was able to um, to go through what she needed to to get that. But so I think what caused me to overcome was that same week, um, mom had called up there and one of the guys at the, there maybe God's uh, <laughs> divine providence on this intervened, you know, mom called and he broke HIPAA laws and told mom that I failed my drug test. And so at this point, um, you know, I'm on the phone with my dad and, and talking to him and he's like, we know 
that you're using again. And I'm like, that's not true. I took two drug tests, like still just trying to, you know, fight it. And I think a lot of it was also, I, I could not believe that it had happened again. You know, I could not believe that I was just so really pain stricken with the fact that I was in the same position. And so a couple of days later, I was supposed to get out and I got my medication and, um, uh, to get back on my psych meds and I called mom to come get me and she said honey this is the hardest thing I've ever had to do but I can't come get you 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 can't come home until you go to treatment and um it was the day after I'd had that I talked about the shower incident but you know what I really um want to get to is like my biggest thing was I told I prayed that night and I said okay this is it whatever happens tomorrow I'm going to trust that it's in your will and I'm handing this over to you. I cannot do this. I can't. I need your help, you know. And um, I, I believed that God would be there for me. And I would basically turned my will and my life over to him. So that, um, because the way I tried to do it for so long didn't work. And I tried every possible way to quit and it wouldn't work. And so I was able to, um, I ended up at a psych ward for about two weeks. And while I was there, I was in some treatment, and then I went to a 30-day facility and um, was able to really care this time. You know, I think hearing my own, I, while I was sitting in that psych ward, it was an eye-opening experience for me. And I was thinking, I, my own mother had to say, like, can I, and I, I don't have children, but I can't imagine, how, like, I put her in the position, you know, and like, of course, initially I was bothered. And pretty mad that she, oh, you're not going to come get me? Do you know what you're putting me back out there to? And hung up the phone. And then I remembered, wait a minute, what did I just pray last night? And so when y'all, y'all didn't know what was going through my mind in that moment, but I kept saying, okay, this is God, this is God's will. I'm following through with it. They're like, this is what, this is what it has to be right now. I did this. And so, um, basically what, um, you know what, that's what really caused it was real, for the first time, I realized what was going on around me and not just about me. I realized the hurt and the pain that I was putting on my family members, um, the people around me. But in order, overcoming it is more of a, I'm able to continue to combat it day by day with constant contact with my creator. You know, this is something that without that, I wouldn't be able to to continue to recover you know, and I know today that, and there's been moments in the last couple of years, I've been sober since March 14th, 2017. And in the last couple of years, there have been moments where, you know, life gets busy and I can make excuses and things get in the way. And it's like, an, you know, prayer is a habitual thing that for someone like me who was so far from it for so long, it wasn't something that I just automatically on my own began to do. Um, it had these, these things had to start slowly and become part of my daily life. And if I let those things start to slowly fall off, then my life can look just as, you know, unmanageable or chaotic as it did with or without the drink. So um, the only thing that has continued to keep me sober and um, is by doing a few things. It's by having a sponsor and by being able to share anything with her, and she's incredible, and constant contact with God, having a relationship with Him, the fellowship of people like me who get it, and to be able to carry the message to another person, you know, and um, to be able to 
gives give back my experience and so what happens is that all the ugly past that I have is no longer looked at as a liability I'm able to use it as an asset and it still blows my mind today these divine connections that are in my life because so often what happens is one of the people that I'm working with or even just someone that I'm talking to after a meeting or something and they're going through something and I've literally gone through the same thing and I'm able to use the experience that I had to, to kind of help guide them or just, you know, like, hey, this is what worked for me. But also, even before I came home and I was still out there, I'd made, I had reconnected with mom and dad. You know, it had been several years since we saw or spoke to each other. But I'd reconnected with them, and without telling them all the details, I just basically mentioned how miserable I was. I'm sure I blamed it all on my boyfriend and um, all of this stuff. And Dad just said something real simple to me. He goes, why don't you read Ecclesiastes? Do you still have a Bible? Why don't you read Ecclesiastes? And so um, after, and, and, you know, of course, I am at this point in my life, I'm constantly drunk or high. So while um, under the influence, I grabbed my Bible and I started reading it, and I remember um, Wesley was sitting next to me, and he was just looking at me like, because I was just, everything Solomon was saying was so relatable to me, you know, and some of the details may be different, you know, I'm not this rich man and all this stuff that maybe for Solomon's particular personality, but the way that he felt, the emotions that he had, and everything that he, he was going through was exactly what I was feeling. And then, let me walk into the rooms of AA, and they've got the same, I'm like, oh, I'm, just, I'm not just a bad person. I'm, the, I'm not the only person going through this stuff. I saw something one time that said, I used to think I was the black sheep until I walked into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and found the rest of the herd, hmm. you know. And that has provided a place of um, safety and security for me. And even within, um, I go to Coleman Avenue Church of Christ, and I'm blessed to have to be able to be loved on there, and people know exact, all about me. And um, I've been able to share with them, and I've been able to meet people like me there too, and not just at that location, but across the board, you know, within the church, there are others that are like me, and it's good to have um, someone who's escaped the same disaster I have, you know, because we are able to now share a common solution and to be able to go through life together and encouraging each other, and so that's that's how I do it today. I know um, the side that you weren't privy to because you weren't there, Um we all kind of, for lack of a better word, cut you off around the same time because we had all kind of had our fill. And, that you know, that's, we, you know that. Um, I remember going home and telling my wife, you know, pregnant at the time, this is what, what I did, this is why I did it. And she said, well, that's really rough. And I said, yeah, but I want her to be a part of our child's life. And I really feel like she can be. But I've got to see this, you know, happen because I, I don't want this to happen, you know, over and over again. And, I've been so proud of you, you know, seeing what you did from that moment to now has been very impressive. You know, it's, it's growing up, we weren't necessarily always the ones that got along very well. Um, (laughs) And to have the closest relationship that I have to you now is, is very helpful and very appreciative to me. And it's, it's one of those moments where rock bottom is when, you know, you feel like, okay, everyone's finally had their fill. And it's like you described, when my own mother is telling me, no, I'm not coming to get you, um, that, that's got an effect that, you know, a lot of other things won't. And for people in our society today, a lot of the world's telling them, 
well, you've, you've got to accept your children with all their faults and flaws. But if we do that with everything, then when a child's do- going through the most serious problem that you can ever face, if a parent's just going to accept that, then if that child, you know, ends up dying, the parent will always wonder, what could I have done to try to help this? What could I have done to try to cause this to not go that way? And so it's not, it's not that we would have sat there and said, we don't care if you're trying to get until you're completely clean, you're not coming back. It's, you know, when we see the effort, it's you're, you're welcome back in. And that was what we saw. And that's what we continue to see. And it's one of the reasons why when I started planning this summer season, I wanted to do something on this because there are so many people out there, maybe even right now listening that we don't even realize that are addicted to something, pornography, gambling, drugs, whatever. And they're, they're, not yet at rock bottom yet, but perhaps this can help them in some way. And that's exactly what we want to do. And, you know, as always, we'll have our, you know, email in the show notes. If you have questions, you have something that you'd like to discuss with Ollie, I'll gladly pass that along to her and make it available to where she can try to help in any way that she can. Um, you know, there are certain things she may not be able to answer, but if she can help you, I know she's willing to. And that's, that's essentially what this is all about. This specific episode arc that we're doing is how can we try to help people who are struggling with what is more seen as we talked about in the last episode and also what is not really seen because there are some addictions like pornography. You may not always know someone's got an addiction to pornography. But listening to something like this can help them realize I'm going to hit at, at some point. It's going to happen. And maybe now's the time to jump shit before that happens. And that's exactly, you know, arrogance is what, you know, people on the Titanic, you know, we don't care that there might be icebergs. We don't care that there's this and that. We're going to make it through. This is the unsinkable ship. And it's at the bottom of the ocean. And when I submit to, like you said, when I finally admitted, I've got to put myself behind and put God first and, and, you know, worry about the, you know, when I'm not always focused on me, that's when I really start to change. And so I'm absolutely proud of you, and I'm thankful for all that you do and continue to do and are planning to do. You know, I, I know you, you've got things that you want to do in the future to help people like this, and I fully believe you're going to be able to do it. And as far as we're talking with biblical aspect, we talk about in this, we talked about a moment ago, our relationship with our families and how it was not destroyed, but it, it came close to where we didn't really spend time together years at a time at times. We didn't see each other, and it was kind of damaged deeply. What can our relationship do, you know, to Christ when we're struggling with addiction and when we're dealing with these types of things? Is it possible that someone can be addicted to something and still have their strongest relationship for Christ, Scott? Hmm. That would be a contradiction in terms. Um when we're talking about contradiction, we're talking about something else having control of our lives. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. God's to be first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Matthew six thirty three. When something else is coming first, the result is not going to be a stronger relationship with God, ever. You mentioned how you all, de- uh, you described the outcome of the, the family relationship when Holly was uh, at seemingly her worst point well that is a that directly correlates with the relationship with god uh that results from various addictions jesus said 
He that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that loves mother or father more than me is not worthy of me. I love the way he words that in Matthew 10, 37, because the word he used for love is agape. And agape is the, it's not philia, the friendship love, that's more of an emotion and a, a, a heart connection. Agape is more of a decision. It's more of a, a mental choice. Any choice I make, I make because it's worth it. So agape is the love that says, I love you because you're worth it. Now, you take that and you apply it to Matthew ten thirty seven. Whoever says mother or father is worth more than me is not worthy of me, Jesus says. He that loves mother or father. He that loves son or daughter, that is, thinks son or daughter is worth more than me, is not worthy of me. Well, let's replace son, daughter, mother, father with Budweiser, Jim Beam, cocaine, TV. Uh we can talk about these substances. We can talk about habitual uh, practices and hobbies. But when it comes before Jesus, I'm telling Jesus, you're not worth it to me. You're not worth me loving you. You're not worth me living for you. You're not worth me letting your way direct my life. The outcome is not going to be a stronger relationship with Christ. It's the exact opposite of walking in the light. And we get to the point where it's going to be like what was described in Romans 1, where repeatedly these people retain not God in their knowledge. They chased after their own desires, and God gave them up to their affections. God gave them up to their lusts. We've heard of interventions when families have to say, you know, you either you straighten up or you're, we have to let you go. That's essentially what God had done with those Gentiles, and that's what... Uh, happens with a relationship with God when I refuse to turn from my sin. We can go to First John chapter 1. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. The blood of his son, Jesus Christ, cleanseth, keeps on cleansing us from all sin. But if we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not the truth. If we're walking in that perpetuated sin, we're not walking in the light. We're not walking with him. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Well, obviously not. Or we think about Second John verse 9, whosoever transgresseth, keeps on transgressing, perpetuated action, not someone who stumbles. We're talking about someone who is addicted to a sin. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. God's not on his side. Or we look at uh, John 14. This is Jesus speaking to his apostles when he said, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loves me, and he that loves me shall be loved of my Father. Verse 21. Verse 23, if a man love me, he will keep my words. My Father will love him. We will come in unto him and make our abode with him. In other words, when, when I'm living for the Lord, he dwells in me. I dwell in him. When I'm living for Scott, when I'm living for me, he doesn't dwell in me. So what does it do to the relationship? Well, I'm in the middle of a love affair with myself, and I've kicked God out of it. So that's what it does to that relationship. I'm going to ask you two more questions, and then I want to kick it to Holly to kind of close out the program with advice we would give to people who are struggling. Um, if someone has just discovered, you know, Jesus, let's say. They've just discovered the Bible. They've just discovered his church. They're addicted 
to whatever. Or if someone has been addicted and they're finally, like Holly said, I'm finally ready to put it back in God's control because myself in the driver's seat hasn't been working out too great. So I'm going to let God drive for a while, if not the rest of my life. What passages would people need to be looking to in effort to overcome? And also, we talk about the idea that addiction starts off in some cases as fun. In other cases, like you mentioned, Scott, it starts off as I lost a loved one today. I lost my job. I lost, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn to this. Can I really be content in Christ in order for me to have the best life that I'm going to have? Is it really possible to, to just have Jesus Christ and, and feel completely content? The first question, dealing with uh, the passages that can be examined uh, in an effort to overcome, perhaps the best one to, to give hope would be 1 Corinthians 6. And the reason I say that, that's the passage we uh, referenced in the last podcast, uh, I'll not be brought under the power of any, 1 Corinthians six twelve. That's immediately after Paul lists... Uh, those things that will keep a person from inheriting the kingdom of God. The unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate. Now, all of those things being listed, all of those things being addictive behaviors, Paul then says to the Corinthians, and such were some of you. Now, he's, he's talking to his brethren. Now, those brethren in the church at Corinth, needed a, they needed a good seminar to help them work some problems out. <laughs> but they, they were still Christians. And he right. says, such were some of you. You used to be these things. You don't have to be anymore. Um, and Paul's language there is actually another reason we want to be careful with the language of recovering or recovered. Because when we use the perpetuated recovering verbiage, then we're telling someone, well, once you've been that kind of sinner, you're always a sinner. Once you've been that person, you're always that person. And we want to avoid that. Now, is it the case that once I'm prone to a certain temptation, that temptation's always going to have a certain appeal to me? In some cases, yes. And again, that varies from individual to individual. So a passage that is extremely encouraging in terms of giving hope and uh, the sense of you can do it, here's an example, is going to be 1 Corinthians 6. And then the rest is really going to be, um, when we think about what you described, Holly decided to let God steer instead of driving. Right. Um, if you've ever looked at the setup of a 12-step program, the first three steps are summarized in just a few words. I can't. God can, I'll let him. Step one realizes I can't do this anymore. It, it, it's out of my hands. My life is out of control, which is a very uh, humbling in and of itself. Submit yourselves to God. Well, submission is humbling. God can, recognizing that he does have the power. But step three, I'll let him. That's saying, uh, that's me making a decision. Uh, letting him steer is what we described. Um, when we think of it in those terms and uh, passages that would direct toward that, well, again, we return to Luke 15. We think of the prodigal. Or we think of David after his sin with Bathsheba, and then he goes to God, uh, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. He calls himself a worm. He describes his sinfulness and God's goodness, and he pleads with God to take away his sin. He knows he can't do it himself. You might almost say that any 
sin sinner depicted in Scripture that repents is a source of comfort for the addict looking for the way out because time and again in Scripture, perpetuated sin is shown to be uh, escapable provided we'll take it, which brings us to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. There's no temptation you taken you, but such as is common to man. God's faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but with the temptation will make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. There is always an escape. The question is, am I going to choose to, to take it? And the next question is, what's it going to take for me to choose that escape? And that's usually the rock bottom that we, we were discussing earlier. Can I be content in Christ? Can, can I truly see him as my only source of, of strength? Well, when he's number one, that, that's going to happen. We think about a fellow named Paul and all that he endured. He, he said, I know how to be abased, how to uh, abound, how to hunger, how to be filled, how to suffer want. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me, Philippians 4.13. Uh, yes, we can be content, but that contentment is only going to result from coming to the point where, and, and we've said it time and again, but we can't stress it enough, the emotional realization has to hit for the person dealing with this. But it gets to the point where it has to be, I can't do this anymore. The only way I can do it is with the Lord. And once that realization is found, contentment <laughs> isn't far away. That's great. I mean, great thoughts. I absolutely appreciate it because that's really what we're talking about because anything that keeps me from Christ is me basically saying, whether I realize it or not, that Christ is not enough for me. And that's all the devil wants us to think. All the devil wants is for us to say, God's not enough. It's what he told them in the Garden of Eden. God is not enough. What God is keeping you back from is proof that God doesn't really care about you, which wasn't the case. But the devil does such a great job in trying to convince us that Jesus should be the afterthought. We've got about a minute left, two minutes. If you wanted to give advice, Holly, to someone who's wanting to begin this process of victory, you know, overcoming the addiction, putting themselves in a place to win, what advice would you give them? Do everything the opposite that I did the first couple years I was trying. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know what? It took for me going to meetings, getting a sponsor. First, identify whatever it is that you are addicted to. There is a solution out there for you. So, like, right now it might feel that everything is, like, really heavy. How are you going to do this? Like, that was the things, like, some thoughts that kept coming to my mind were, like, I don't know. I Honestly, I thought I was just going to be an alcoholic junkie the rest of my life. I had no idea that this was possible for me. And um, it's been a really cool experience that I want to continue so I got to do the work for it but if, if you want to overcome whatever you're going through I would suggest that you get in get in touch and I'm glad that Michael mentioned the email I was going to offer up my email as well um, for anyone who may not want um, you know if they wanted to keep it more private and I'll, I'm going to give Michael my email to also post but identify what the problem is do some research in your local area there are um, many intergroups for different addictions for meetings that are available um, for all, all across the board alcohol drugs uh, love and sex addicts pornography you know whatever it is like there's something out there for you and really get involved in that um, be of service in that aspect and um, you know f- 
work the steps of the program and continue your connection with God and and to grow that and and then give it away to somebody else. That's great. We really appreciate both of you taking some time. And Holly, we really appreciate it too because we know you're open about it in a good way, but it's very helpful for people to hear stories like this, for them to know people have done this, I can do this too. And so what we're doing in, in this summer season is looking at having a far better life than all these different things. And that's what we're talking about. And so right now I'm going to ask, Scott, you got anything else you want to add to this? You know, there, there's one thing I would add. Um, because Holly comes from the perspective of having identified that it was wrong but feeling incapable of getting this monkey off of her back. There are others out there, and they're in the church, who don't see it as a monkey on the back. They're not convinced that it's wrong. Uh, and having had firsthand knowledge of this type of situation, uh, there are those that need to sit down and give an honest assessment. Stop listening to those that say, oh, this isn't a problem. This isn't sin. This isn't wrong. You can enjoy this recreationally. You can do this. Sit down and give an honest, candid assessment of these things and ask yourself, would you sit down and do this with Jesus? Would you offer Jesus a glass of what you're drinking? Would you offer Jesus a light of what you're smoking? Would you offer Jesus to uh, look at this website you're investigating? Give yourself an honest examination of these things and give the Bible an honest examination. And then if you determine that it's sin and it's in your life, make a decision. Um, I've known of some good folks who, when they finally realized, hey, I can't do this and please God, they gave it up but they've been lying to themselves and being in denial about whether or not it was right or wrong. So for some, it's going to be a matter of uh, simply giving it that honest assessment and uh, exiting the denial. That's right. And if Philippians one twenty three tells us to be with the Lord is far better, and one day you and I are going to die or the Lord is going to come back. And so our hope and prayer is that you'll please God now and that I'll please God now so that my eternity and your eternity can be far better. And until the next episode, let's all resolve to make that our goal. We'll see you next time.